All right, welcome back to another episode of the Goal Post. We're back after a crazy conference championship weekend, and then there were two. We're left with Kansas City and Philadelphia, which feels like it was fitting to be the last two teams standing. Whatever you say about either team, I think this is a great Super Bowl matchup, but we'll get down to that in our first impressions down the road. But yeah, overall, a interesting conference championship weekend, Patrick. Yes, lots to talk about between the two of us. A lot of storylines, a lot of controversy, kind of a little bit of of everything. I mean, the two games were very different um, in the in the in the matchups and how close it was and interest level. But overall, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. And kind of like you said, I do think the two most complete teams ended up in the Super Bowl facing each other. Yeah, I think so too. And we won't waste any time. It's been a few days, so we'll go right down to the link for a tragedy that looked like it was out of a Shakespeare play for the NFC Championship where the Eagles just demolished the 49ers 31-7. to Philly finishes with four rushing touchdowns. Hurts ran for 40 in one of those touchdowns. The real storyline here is the Eagles forcing both of San Francisco's quarterbacks out of the game with injuries and then proceeding to just beat the wounded. It was it was not pretty for San Francisco. I feel I feel bad for them. My heart goes out for those guys. You know, they're working so hard. It was it was a big feel good story and then it wasn't. And uh it ended really badly for San Francisco with Josh Johnson at the helm, then eventually an an armless Brock Purdy to finish it off and yeah, it it was a dismantling uh by Philly, Philly 31-7 and it just it was never in doubt. I mean, it, there was never really a thought of uh, San Francisco making it a game. And uh, once Brock Purdy went out, I think we we all kind of saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, Hassan Reddick knocks Purdy out of the game with an elbow injury. And in one foul swoop, connects two of this podcast, maybe most consistent storylines over the NFL season, Brock Purdy and QB throwing arm slash hand injuries merged together into one really sad story. Reddick's the same guy who recovered the fumble by Josh Johnson, the fourth string after, who suffered a concussion on the play. And yeah, at that point, everything was lost. When Purdy did come back in, he said he was unable to throw the ball more than 10 yards with his elbow. And it's just sad to see Brock and really the 49ers in general go out this way because it's a great team. Yeah, it was a great team. And and you know what? They they hung around in this game for, for almost too long, really. Long enough when... I said at the start that it really never felt like they were going to make it a game. It They had a chance. They had one chance when McCaffrey had that beautiful touchdown run. It did feel like a quick, very quick momentum shift, but that shift lasted maybe not, not even a drive because I believe Philly got the ball back after that and went down and went up 14-7. to seven. And like you said, with the Josh Johnson fumble, I mean, San Fran had a chance to go in at, down at half 14-7. But instead, he just fumbled the ball out of nowhere, pretty unexplainable. And then uh, Philly was able to take advantage of that. And they went up into half 21-7. And that's kind of, it was over at half. The second half, not a lot went down. But yeah, it was just, I just feel bad for San Francisco, really. Because I think if you had anyone, like any any starting quarterback, maybe even like a good backup similar to what Brock Purdy was doing, I don't know if they win that game, but it's a game. 
Yeah, it was like the Dolphins playoff game on steroids. Just anybody who could have been somewhat competent in that position would have made that game a lot more interesting. It continues the storyline of the Eagles not really having a good win this year. We'll get into that a bit later. But we saw George Kittle after the game rightfully so, uh, show some emotion because how do you deal with that as a player or even as a team to not even really have a fair shot at the game, uh, let alone to have a fourth string quarterback get in for you. You have nothing, you have nothing to build on. You have nothing to go with in a game where in the past, a lot of it rides on confidence and momentum because the teams are so good. You just took all the air out of the balloon there with having Josh Johnson in that game. And it's not like there were really any better alternatives. We kicked around the wildcat idea. It could have been better at some points of that game, considering how well their run game is. But for the E, Eagles to come out and just demolish them an injured 49ers team. It can't be a nice way to end your season. And it just leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. Well said, I, I really don't know what I was expecting out of Josh Johnson when he came into the game, but it was more than that. It, it really was. I thought he would be somewhat capable. He's just kind of being around the league 13 years, I believe. Uh, so maybe just as many teams, I think. Decorated it, Wikipedia page. Yeah, just he he must feel so good that he gets to add NFC Championship appearance in his in his Wikipedia page amongst many other things. But yeah, it was just really bad out of Josh Johnson, and it really surprises me how a guy like that is able to kind of stay on a roster. And I saw a couple of tweets about like how. San Francisco is kind of kicking themselves for not signing Baker Mayfield when they had the chance there because, I mean, it's hard to disagree that Baker Mayfield probably doesn't give you a better chance to win that game than Josh Johnson, but it was, it was just really bad out of Josh Johnson. And going back to what you said about the Wildcat, I, I do think it would have been better than him at quarterback the entire time. I mean, you even have Juwan Jennings on your team who was a recruited as a quarterback to Tennessee out of high school. So I just think... For the offensive guru genius that Kyle Shanahan has been labeled as, it was just surprising to see him not try something different than just Josh Johnson handing the ball, handing the ball, and then incomplete pass. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think Shanahan took a lot of the flack for this game in certain parts and not in other parts. I think that is one of the fair gripes at him in this game. That and not challenging that Devontae Smith call early in the game, which ended up leading to their first touchdown. I I think that in the moments where you have to be one of those smart coaches and really lead with your instinct, uh, Shanahan surprisingly didn't, which I think a lot of people were surprised about. And I think that in a game where you're so shorthanded, you have to kind of act as a 13th man as the coach there, especially on this 49ers team. And it didn't seem like they really were in the game fully that way. And if you're getting kind of outcoached by Nick Sirianni at that point, I mean, are you the offensive guru? We think you are. Yeah, he almost seems stunned uh, when that catch happened and, and Philly went to line up. It almost looked deer in the headlights kind of look. He was like, oh, my goodness, like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? To me, that and obviously I'm I'm just on my couch. I'm not an NFL head coach. I throw that challenge flag no matter what in worst case scenario you have a timeout that's that's just a timeout you kind of settle it all down and you try and hold them to a field goal from the eight yard line something like that yeah. but if he challenged i mean i'd 
it looked like it hit the ground for sure to me. I mean, they didn't really go all the way into reviewing it, but they did show the angle where you definitely saw the ball move. Uh, I I didn't see exactly if it hit the ground or not, but it With seemed the way like, calls have been going recently. It, it's they they hate those. That's the staple of like, nope, not a catch. We saw the ball move, so yeah, probably would have been called back, and San Fran would have got the ball at half because it was a fourth down, and also Brock Purdy probably doesn't get injured if he throws a flag there. Yep. That's a real trickle butterfly effect right there. If we Just throwing it out the there, you know? Tinfoil hat territory. Uh, one other thing I had from this game was that the Eagles were getting away with a lot. I mean, I think a lot of people had gripes with the refs this weekend, but I think the late game overshadowed just how much was really going on in this early game. We saw it finally boil over at the end with Trent Williams taking things into his own hands because the refs weren't. And I think that this is something to really watch going into the Super Bowl because there's a lot of going early on the Eagles line and a lot of kind of existing in the gray and not being caught by the refs. Yeah, specifically number 65, the right tackle, Lane Johnson, seems to have a one to two second head start on every shotgun passing play that the Eagles run. It's something to look for in the Super Bowl next week. I don't think the them calling that would have had a difference in the game. And that's why I think it it's not getting talked about as much because, I mean, I think no matter what happened, the Eagles are winning this game with Brock Purdy getting injured. But it, it just it baffles my mind, uh, and especially the, the drive when the Eagles got their second touchdown. It was definitely aided from, from the refs a bit. I mean, they were getting very ticky-tacky on some of those calls when you're seeing that happen on both sides of the ball, but it's only getting called on one side of the ball. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was inconsistent, but I think it was inconsistent the entire weekend. It's just you want that the false starts. I mean, it doesn't get more obvious of a penalty to call. And they did it one false start. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So that they got one, but you probably could have called nine. Nine. Yeah. Once you, you yeah. really started looking for it, it became really obvious. And I think that with having that advantage, you kind of take away that stinging power away from that 49ers D line. Again, I think you're right that this didn't become as much of a storyline because I don't think it would have really changed the game enough to make it close even or to take away those touchdowns magically. But it's something that is a very reasonable gripe, especially with how important the offensive and D-line come in the playoffs at this point. You're looking for any advantage you can get. Rightfully so, take it if you can get it if you're the Eagles, but I just hope it's something that the refs have their eyes on. But over to the real shit show of the weekend the AFC Championship down at Arrowhead in bold as the Chiefs come away 23-20 over the Bengals. There's a lot of takes that spawned from this one. And obviously the refing became a storyline, unfortunately. But Patrick, it's not necessarily the screw job on Cincinnati that some folks kind of made it out to be. No, I think you and I, um, looking at it from a pretty rational point of view, I think we're able to kind of see this. I mean, I uh, spur of the moment Bengals and uh, Chiefs fans they're you know they're seeing the game in a different way than you know you and I would but I think if you look back on it the refing it it wasn't great not gonna not gonna you know defend the refing but I will defend the two two biggest calls I guess in the game which were 
well, I'll start with the lesser, which was the intentional grounding on Cincinnati's last drive that was called loss of down, loss of eight yards, I believe it was. That was, it was just not even close. I mean, he was thrown behind the line of scrimmage. P. Ryan was like five yards past the line of scrimmage, and there was no one there. Um, the it's a reason, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just the definition of the rule is you're, you're getting rid of that ball to not lose yards. So that's what it is. And then on the second one, the, that was a late hit. It was, it was just late hit out of bounds. Quarterbacks get those calls every single time. Uh, people will bring up the Joe Mixon one, but I think everyone kind of knows you can kind of get away with anything you want on a running back. Running backs get treated with exactly. no respect in this league, and that's why they last maybe two to three years. But it's they protect the money, and the NFL knows that. Quarterbacks are always protected in that sense. And Cincinnati had the ball tie game with two and a half minutes left. Like you had your chance to go win the game for yourself and you couldn't do it. It's the perfect example of football never comes down to just one play. And it's completely apparent there. You had your chance to win this game and you can't boil this entire game down to a play and, you know, put Osai up on the cross because he made a bang, bang play when the game's going 50 miles an hour and he's chasing a quarterback. I think that the Bengals, had a lot of opportunities in that, that sense to win this game. Burrow got intercepted twice. There were mistakes all across the board. So if you really want to get nitpicky, I think that that won't help you much in this game if you're a Bengals supporter or you're trying to make a case for the Bengals because if you want to get nitpicky, there were mistakes everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, neither team was really finishing drives. Either Kansas City was just getting field goals. I mean, you said it with Burrow. Burrow looked off all night really I mean there was a couple but like the first drive I thought he was going to throw an interception he he thought he could get over the linebacker and it was batted down it it was just not really a pretty game out of Cincinnati in the first half and then they kind of found it a little bit in the third quarter and then it went away again in the fourth quarter. it was just it was maybe Cincinnati's worst game in their last 10 games yeah they but were they were, they were built on consistency yeah they were in it and then in those games that they were winning down the stretch, they were in it. And then their consistency was pulling them through those games and getting them wins and winning games that maybe they shouldn't have in this one. It didn't seem like they had that consistent flow on offense or defense the whole game. Yeah, it was, it was off. Joe Mixon could, could get nothing going. They had to switch to P Ryan, which who, who got a touchdown. He was pretty good for a backup running back, but it was just not good. And then I hate to see the, the Joseph Osai, stuff i mean you you touched on a little bit earlier but i mean it, it's such a bang bang play and then there's that one the one player i don't know who it was 59 on the bengals that was kind of uh he's like why why did you hit the quarterback like yelling at him like all this stuff and it's just i mean it, it's tough it's a fast game uh it's a fast sport and you just Sometimes make a bad decision, and it was just it sucks that it was just in the the most crucial time of the game, and um, it did kind of cost them the game. But I do feel bad, and shout out to BJ Hill for standing beside him in the press conference there, helping him out, yeah. being a great teammate and a great person. Yeah, that was that was a kind of a shining spot of that, and I think that lost in all of that, I think the Chiefs really did deserve this one at the end, especially with Mahomes playing on the ankle that he did. He still relied on it to get that rush at the end, which I thought was pretty incredible how fast he was moving. Still throws for 326 and two touchdowns, even though he was missing three of his wide receivers to injuries by the end. 
In our preview, we mentioned how they were likely going to have to get Pacheco and McKinnon going. And even though they didn't, they still won. He leaned on Kelsey. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. And MVS got help from the defense with two interceptions and five sacks. I mean, it was just a complete effort. Not in the traditional sense of a Chiefs complete effort that we see where it looks like they're doing everything right in all ways. This was one where you got an injured team and you just got to get the win and they did everything right to get the win in that sense. Yeah, they, they really had to work for it. This It didn't come easy and they had depth players step up in the biggest moment. You mentioned Valdez Scantling with 116 yards and a touchdown just out of nowhere, really. It was, I think Chiefs fans were pretty upset with how his season was but I mean if you show up on the biggest stage in the biggest moment all can all can be forgiven and I mean Sky Moore stepped up huge on that punt return late to put them right out midfield uh saving clock everything that was huge punt return that uh can be overlooked with all the discussion that was going on it was I had Mahomes I just said he looked limited and what he could do but even a limited Mahomes is still pretty darn good in what he can do. And I mean, he was great. And you said it, he showed just the heart of a champion with that scramble at the end to yeah. get the first down and take the penalty. It was it was amazing. That's what you that's what you want out of your quarterback to go win a Super Bowl. Like that's that's a captain, that's a leader, and someone who's really to, willing to put his body on the line to win it for his team. And credit to Andy Reid in Kansas City for pull, pulling that one out. It was it was a nice, nice, tough playoff win. Yeah, credit to to Andy Reid. And we talked a bit about this throughout the week. Is this Chiefs run or dominance or whatever you want to call it really that unlikable when you think about it? You think about the Patriots dynasty. You think about how cocky and how terrible those years were when Patriots fans could really just say whatever they wanted. I think this Chiefs team is a bit different obviously they don't have the super bowls yet to kind of get into that territory of being absolutely unbearable but with mahomes reed kelsey there's not really a lot of unlikable parts in this team especially after tyreek hill left who you could maybe say was the only real spot because of some of his antics there's not a whole lot to go on here and i think they just got complete vindication against the Bengals and kind of i feel like this was a big win for them Huge win for their uh, their dynasty argument. I think if they find a way to get uh, a Super Bowl here, it's definitely. I'd say it's a dynasty, man. I mean, you you've been in what four Super Bowls in five years? Yeah, five I've, straight AFC championships. Yeah, so it's. I mean, it's something with two Super Bowls to show for. It's that's what you're looking for, and similar to what you're saying about how. They don't seem likable, or they do seem likable compared to the unlikable Patriots. I mean, yeah, I just think they're doing things the right way. And I think it's they built most of their team uh, from the ground up. And I just, I don't know. It was the Patriots, you know, there's scandal after scandal. I mean, Belichick, he's just kind of no, no personality at all. Just giving it to him. You get sick of looking at him with the ripped sweaters and stuff like that tom brady has a sense of an arrogance to him a little bit as opposed to mahomes who kind of tries to stay out of the public as much as i as he can i mean aside from state farm commercials obviously but everyone seemed to be falling in love with cincinnati i think everyone was ready to 
make Cincinnati the new darling of the NFL and just it seemed like the public of America and Canada kind of was cheering for Cincinnati and specifically more against Kansas City, which I find surprising. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, influenced by how hard the Bills were a darling and how hard they just stuck the sword down their back. And I think a lot of people, a lot of Bills fans or even the Bills Mafia in general have some sway over this. I think a lot of that hate for the Chiefs has has been drummed up by Bills fans and has kind of spread over. But yeah, now looking at it, this Chiefs team really isn't that unlikable. And I'm excited to see them go against the Eagles, which will lead us now to our Super Bowl first impressions. This is just going to be our quick gut instinct kind of reactions so we can save our Super Bowl preview for a bit closer to the game. Um, but Pat, why don't you give me a few off the bat here? So it opened the line open Eagles minus two and a half. It's already moved down to Eagles minus one and a half. The over the total opened at 49 and a half. It has now moved to 50 and a half. I think that's kind of where I expected it. I think a lot of the, I think the Eagles being favored goes to the uh, injuries on the, for the what no, sorry the wide receiver injuries for the Chiefs and Mahomes' limited ability with the ankle. I I lean Kansas City. Um, another thing, if Jalen Hurts wins, he'll be younger than the national champion quarterbacks. That's in Bennett, which is a fun fact to throw out there. Uh, yeah, that's I I lean Chiefs early. Uh, we'll see how the injuries develop through the week, two weeks, I guess. Um. Yeah, Arizona, it's a dome. I think it'll be kind of a fast-paced game. Yeah, I think I had some pretty similar ones. Uh, Mahomes has time to rest his ankle or attack it with science, either or. Really, the whole Chiefs team has time to rest, which is not a great thing for the Eagles. The experience of the Chiefs is going to be a problem in this matchup. It's yeah, a great I, matchup. They're a little more battle-tested than the than the Eagles this season, uh, if you look at their, their games and their Definitely, schedule. Definitely, yeah. That was another one. Eagles don't really have a great win or a completely solid win. So I think that this, in a weird way, becomes just another game for Kansas City. They've been here or know how to be here. A lot of these remaining big parts are the ones who have been in Super Bowls before. So I think that that experience might really show I also got that the Eagles D line is a problem. I mean, same goes for, you know, a two week more rested Mahomes or not. You got a D line that's coming at you that had 70 sacks throughout the year. It's going to be a problem either way. Uh, I'm excited for Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhart. I think that's going to be a good call. And I'm excited for Andy Reid versus old team. Maybe, maybe even more than the Kelsey matchup. Yeah, that's the more fun storyline, I think. Um, I mean, unfortunately, Jason Kelsey plays center, so it's not the most noticeable position in the world. But you'll be seeing a lot of Andy Reid, his face, and just it'll be mentioned more, I believe, in the broadcast. Very excited for Olsen and Burkhardt on the call. Excited for a dome game here, too. Yeah, very mature group calling the game. I think it's just, you mentioned the the Eagles deal. I think it's just a well-balanced matchup. In all aspects, yeah. really. I mean, the Chiefs dealing like Frank Clark finally got his two playoff sacks. Um, they look great. They had uh, four sacks on Burrow in the first half. It there, everything looks good about these two teams, and I'm not surprised that they f- are meeting each other in the Super Bowl. I mean, exactly. 
the Eagles were just winning games, finding ways to win games. And then I think it was a three-man race in the AFC between the the Chiefs, Bengals, and Bills. And I'm not surprised to see the Chiefs be the ones to come out of that. So, I mean, here we are. I'm excited. Could go either way. Let's there go. we go. Yeah, we'll get back to you in uh, about a week and a half to get closer to the Super Bowl for our big preview of it. Little teaser, we're going to be doing our first video episode for the Super Bowl, so keep your eyes out for that. And yeah, we're ready for a good Super Bowl. Ready to roll. All right, switching gears to some hockey, some NHL action after a little bit of football. We're just about to reach the halfway point of the season, so it just makes sense to do another edition of Trending Up and Down to see where we're at. And I'll kick things off with Trending Up, and I begrudgingly have the Edmonton Oilers. Since January 10th, they're 7-0-1, and in that time rank, first in points percentage, goals for power plays at a 40% clip in that time, the penalty kills at a 90% clip, they're first in shots for and second in shots again, and they're just dominating. I think you had them too? Yeah, any team with four players that have 60 points or more at this point in the season is... It's quite astonishing, really. I mean, there's some teams that don't even have one 60-point guy, and Edmonton has four. Uh, Jack Campbell is 7-1 and one in the new year. It's They're finding it, finding it, finally. Yeah, I mean, it, that's it's starting to show. It's crazy because everyone was wondering, why are you not winning when McDavid's on you know record-setting paces with points and dry settles right behind him? I think uh, we know it's kind of defensive goaltending issues, but it appears they're kind of shoring that up a bit and they're winning games now because they have. Yeah, I feel like if you're in the Pacific too, everything's wide open right now for you. And for this Oilers team, I feel like if they continue at the clip that they're at, they're just going to become dominant to the point that, you know, you can't take a penalty against them with this power play. You can't take... Uh, a power play advantage with this penalty kill and they're just kind of yeah plugging all those holes that people have kind of pointed out in the past have held them back mcdavid and dreisaitl are on you know godly levels again it's starting to get a bit unfair and this team looks to be uh, a problem especially in a pretty wide open west right now heading in the second half of the season yeah they're only two points behind vegas in the pacific division and vegas is probably in one of the opposite categories uh, as opposed to Edmonton. But it's it's kind of nice to see, really, because the Pacific was a very boring division until now that Edmonton and Calgary are starting to make it more interesting. Or even Vegas is kind of just making it more interesting because they're not running away with it. But yeah, I think those five teams in the Pacific, it, you could shuffle those five teams kind of any sort of way. And I wouldn't be surprised with how it finishes but this year and Edmonton, if they keep this up, I think they'll have a chance to win the Pacific. Yeah, I agree. Who who else did you have for trending up? Feels good to say this. It's taken a while. Um, I think it's justified. But uh, the Ottawa Senators are are looking good right now. They're playing good hockey. They have won four games in a row since six games into the season. That's the last time they've won four games in a row this year. They are now six points out of a playoff spot. And I mean, out of those four wins that they have in a row, three of them have come against rivalry opponents, which is always nice to say a little bit of bragging rights. And I mean, Ridley Gregg has come into the lineup and he's found instant chemistry with Claude Drew, who was named first star of the week last week. And it's just things look like they're 
going well for Ottawa, which I know means something bad is going to happen pretty soon. But I mean, Mott, Tyler Mott's coming back. Artem Zub will be back after the All-Star break. And it's just nice to go into the All-Star break on the Sens having a high for once. And they have a schedule after the All-Star break that they kind of need to take advantage of. Because if you falter right out of the gates of the All-Star break, you're going to be out of this playoff push really quickly. And I don't want that. So, And I'm sure they don't either, but yeah. I think this is, yeah, the most interesting point in the season for teams like Ottawa who have been on the up as of late and, yeah, are going to kind of be in the best position to take advantage of that rest and then, yeah, attack your schedule after. Obviously, the Sens have been up and down all year, but if you can, yeah, take a hold in this Atlantic division or even just in this wild card race between a pretty crowded Atlantic and Metro, I think that the Sens, if they keep, they're they're a big momentum team. If you keep this momentum going, I think anything can happen down the stretch. They showed that against the Leafs that they can play up in games a lot. That's not just against the Leafs. They've been playing up kind of in spots all year. So, yeah, I think the sky's the limit for the Sens team, and it's only really going to be themselves holding themselves back at the end of the day if it happens. Yeah, they definitely will find a way to kind of shoot themselves in the foot eventually in this something down the line, whether it be a bad trade at the deadline, um, just anything really, you know, continuing to play Nikita Zaitsev, just stuff like that that they will do. Uh, that will hurt them. But I mean, so far, so good. And I mean, just going into the all-star break on a high note is is good for any team, no matter what position you're in. So what do you have yeah, for trending th- down, Damien? Actually, I have one more for trending up, um, okay. which is a similar position as trending into the all-star break. It's the New York Rangers in what I just mentioned as being a crowded Metro. They're 6-2-2 two and two in their past 10 and now 10th in the league. They're just slowly creeping up on the Devils now just six points back. They had some big wins in January over Dallas, Minnesota. They took the Leafs and Devils into overtime. They should have beat the Leafs in that game. And the pieces are just starting to look a lot more congruent in New York. It's a really talented roster. It kind of always has been in this past two or three years. And it's just starting to kind of develop a bit more. People like to point to the kid line of Lafreniere, Kako, and Chittle. Um, They've been really hot lately. Chittle has... Uh, led the way with 12 points in his last 11. Lafreniere has four in his last four, and Kako has five in his last five. Chittle's really been the shining star of that group this year. He's fast, he's got a hard shot, and he catches a lot of defenders by surprise. I got to see that at the Leafs game. And it again, it's a team to watch to see how they respond after the All-Star break. They, they, they feel like a team who seems to win one lose one, win two, lose two, kind of just not find like a rhythm in, in a streak. But they found they they found a way to put some wins together in January, which is why you kind of seen them creeping their way up the standings. They're now six points behind New Jersey for second in the Metro. New Jersey's catchable. I mean, they've shown flaws. They, they might not be the world beaters that we had originally thought uh, two months into the season. So, I mean, if New York keeps going, like you said, they're just kind of a team to watch right now. I mean, I don't think anyone would be surprised if they just got hot and they're a team you do not want to see in the playoffs. That's for sure. I mean, Shesterkin can get hot at any time, can be one of the best goalies in the league. Panarin has kind of, he's got 50 points and it feels like he's having a bad season. So, I mean, you know, he can 
just turn it on at any any point and yeah i mean keep an eye on those rangers yeah i'll uh i'll go to trending down now with another team in the metro i'll start with the washington capitals they're four and six in their past 10 with three of those wins coming over columbus arizona and philly not exactly uh stars on those teams and talking to caps fans i talked to one the other day who just mentioned how disjointed they looked and Tom Wilson came back from his ACL injury and is now back out on the IR again after blocking a shot on the opposite leg. Backstrom came back, but they just haven't looked like a cohesive unit at all. Even a Golden Knights team that was on a three-game losing skid stomped them 6-2 about a week ago. Uh, and then they go and lose 5-1 to the Leafs last Sunday. And things just don't don't look good in Washington right now. No, they've they've struggled to find consistency with with their players all season. Uh, the injuries that they've had so far haven't helped at all. Connor Brown has been out pretty much the entire year. Uh, you said Tom Wilson's gone. It's it's not good for the Capitals. But the one good thing that they do have going for them is they are in a playoff spot right now. So if they're able to kind of figure things out quickly and not let this this slump or sloppy play continue, they'll be able to save their season and, you know, possibly go on a run in the playoffs, you know, maybe sneak into third in the Metro if the Rangers find a way to slump. But Washington has to figure this out really quickly or else things can get out of hand. And next thing you know, you're a seller at the deadline out of nowhere. Yeah, I agree. Who, who did you have for trending down? So I, I touched on it a little bit with the Edmonton, but Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights have looked pretty, pretty terrible really since the new year. Um, might be a little bit of the the Logan Thompson magic running out, the rookie goalie who who had played a season with the Brock Badgers in the OUA. They're two six and two in their last ten, uh, so eight losses in their last ten games, which is just. Not what a team who was once first in the Pacific was looking for. Uh, Mark the Mark Stone has been injured for a while. Who really knows what's going on with him and how long he's going to be? Uh, Jack Eichel, their big signing, has only five points and is a minus twelve in the new year. It's just not good. And we mentioned Edmonton, who's surging up. They're two points behind them right now for third in the Pacific, which will drop Vegas into a wild card position. Things are happening quickly in Vegas, and it's not going the way they want to. Yeah, it. speaking as a Jack Eichel fantasy owner, it's been a tough January. And Vegas has turned into one of those teams that people are scared to play against to one that people can kind of take advantage of, especially with the injuries as of late. The Mark Stone injury is really weird. Um, it's something to do with his back, and it's kind of been on and off throughout the year. So Vegas fans aren't optimistic about that which is not a good sign and we're starting to slowly kind of see the depth creep up on this team right like what you kind of are who you are if you go through injuries as a really good team and you can't really fill those gaps i think good organizations are able to fill gaps and you know coming out guns a blazing like vegas did they haven't necessarily had the organizational time to get you know deep roster pieces they're going on logan thompson as you mentioned a rookie goalie so you know it's a really high risk high reward situation in vegas and we're starting to see kind of the other side of that now yeah like like you said 
they've always kind of been competitors and they've traded away their assets and their depth pieces with the moves. I mean, they brought in Patch which didn't work out well. I mean, they brought in guys like Eichel, Stone. So they've traded away a lot of those pieces. And like you said, it is kind of coming back to bite them in the butt a bit. I mean, Chandler Stevenson is leading their team in points, which is not what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy like Eichel, Mark Stone, someone to kind of take on the the star role of this team and and just lead them to to victory and to playoffs in the Pacific but it's it just doesn't look good right now and I mean the fall of Vegas could be something like if they don't figure it out it could just be really bad in the future and it could be one of those cases similar to the Ottawa Senators where you're once so high you're so high you're on top of the world and next thing you know, you're you're in a terrible spot, and you're you're rebuilding for three, four, five years. And I'm not saying Vegas is there because they're in a playoff spot; they're third in the Pacific right now. But you kind of get that feeling a little bit. Mark Stone back. This is not his first back injury, and I mean, it, they just have to figure things out over there. Yeah, I agree. Did you have anybody else for trending down? Uh, yeah, I'll touch on them a little bit, but the St. Louis Blues are kind of just have gone into a little bit of a dumpster fire mode. They're three and seven in their last ten. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, Pavel Buchnevich, and Robert Thomas are all injured right now. I would say three of their top five forwards on their team. Uh, they've allowed four or more goals in five straight games. They're now sixth in the Central, a once proud franchise, and they're eight eight points out of a wild card. And it it just looks like they're now full on sellers at the deadline. Ryan O'Reilly's name's getting mentioned. Bennington's getting in fights again. It's just all hell is kind of breaking loose over in St. Louis. It's so weird. You got to know that the warning sign that you're organizations headed down a bad path is ryan o'reilly on the trovering block i mean i funnily enough that trade ended up working out pretty damn good for the sabers but when you start chopping those names off the block you start seeing tempers boil over because they're just getting peppered in all these games they give up a lot of shots it's something's got to give or else you know this organization similar to vegas could kind of go down a bit of a dark path this next five four or five years yeah, and I think a, a coach like Craig Berube, he's fun and he's tolerable when you're winning, similar to a Tortorella, but when you're losing, I think he loses the room and he loses the voice and you just kind of get sick of like the message and what he's trying to what he's trying to say to you guys as a team. So I think that's I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if St. Louis eventually makes a coaching change at either some point in the season or in the offseason, but they're sellers at the deadline. Um, I don't know if I'm. They're all in on Bedard, uh, like that far into the tank, but I don't think they're making the playoffs. And I think they they know that, and they're starting to rebuild for the future. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they just go into full tank mode after the All Star break or not. But that's our update for you on the NHL scene. We'll get back to you after the All Star break and give you another bit of an update. See how some of these teams kind of pan out. All right, we're going to close the show now with another edition of Given the Business. It's been a bit. 69, offense. He was giving them the business. And this week, I'll specifically be talking about the NHL All-Star selection process. 
And specifically about William Nylander's absence, this year Hockey Ops named the first 32 players, one per team in a roster reveal, and then from there fans voted on the three remaining players per division and two position players and one goalie. Eric Duhashek at The Athletic did a great piece about how the NHL keeps tweaking the all-star selection process and somehow manages to keep getting it wrong. And he just put it plainly. He said, there was a time where getting selected to play in the NHL All-Star game was a meaningful achievement. Moreover, in the era of a 21-team NHL, it didn't matter if every team had a representative because there was still enough roster space to accommodate most of the worthy candidates. But in a 32-team league, it isn't possible anymore if you insist on choosing a player from every team. And we just saw a prime example of this. It was pretty ridiculous when you look at the case of William Nylander being snubbed from the All-Star game, um, especially when you look at Austin Matthews being chosen as a fill-in player, like one of those fan vote-in players at the end where you could argue that Nylander's had the more impactful season. But worse enough, after Matthews goes down with an injury, they replace him with center Alexander Barkov of the Florida Panthers being added to the Atlantic division roster, replacing Austin Matthews with the knee sprain. And let me just throw out some stats for you here. Barkov, 14 goals, 33 assists, 47 points. Nylander, 28 goals, 39 assists, 59 points. Barkov was obviously injured this year for a bit, but that makes there be more skaters from the 21st place team in the league than the second, third, fourth, and fifth place teams in the league. Just a complete mess, Patrick. I'm all in on, I'm all like everything you said. I agree with you. Um, the fact, so now with the format of having every single team represented, it's a lot harder to make the all-star game. So, I mean, we can talk about changing that. That's, that's a different conversation, but the current format in place, it's very hard to make the all-star game. So when you're leading your team, in points and your team is uh second in the division fourth and third third in the well in league, the league yeah uh and you don't get in i mean like what what, what are we doing here it's it's pretty inc- it's pretty crazy um like i'm not saying that matthews and marner aren't deserving of a of an all-star vote but the man's having the best season on the leafs right now especially with expectations yeah and it's just how do you not reward him for having a great season like that? It's it just yeah. takes all the incentives away and it takes away the like you said, like it's not as much of an honor anymore. I mean, guys don't even really want to play in it anymore. Uh, you're seeing it, you know, the the oh tweak tweaked my groin right right around this was this time yeah, or Austin oh. Matthews and Tage Thompson like out of nowhere, creating injuries, taking the Ovechkin route. And why not, right? Like, there's no more incentive, you're right, for the player to really want to play in this game. And I think also the fan vote, if you looked at the three highest hashtags in the Atlantic division for the votes, it was William Nylander, Tim Stutzla, and Cole Caulfield. And none of the three were in the fan vote. So I just don't understand... What I happened? think the NHL is using the fans to get exposure and they're not rewarding the players that are the most deserving of becoming an all-star. Exactly. On, on the very baseline, it's just sad to see any player have this kind of year and not have an all-star selection to show for it at the end of his career. Because 
these things get lost in the mud, right? Like a guy finishes his career and he goes, oh, he was only an all-star three times, only an all-star twice, never an all-star. And it gets kind of lost year to year on the bullshit that leads to guys missing this game. And it's just unfortunate. And I think you put it great that the NHL is just using the fans here. But I'll get off my soapbox. What did you have, Patrick? Well, that was the deserving one for sure. Because that was, it's just upsetting to see that in general for a hockey fan. But for me, I'm looking at the other all-star game and we're going to the Pro Bowl. Um, So the quarterbacks for the AFC division, AFC conference, sorry. Trevor Lawrence, who I think is deserving. I think that's a good name you want in the Pro Bowl. Young gun. Could be the future of the NFL. You know, image. He looks good. That's a good guy. Derek Carr. Bit of a drop off, but I mean, yeah, you know the name. It's not his first yeah. Pro Bowl, you know. It, I mean, well, actually, I should preface everything by saying so. Mahomes is in the Super Bowl, so he will not be participating. Josh right. Allen declined. Is playing in a Pro Am instead of the Pro Bowl, and Joe Burrow is, you know, he's he's upset. He's not playing, which is which is fine. That makes sense. And Herbert has also declined. So those four have declined. Oh, and Lamar Jackson. Sorry. So there's five. Five are out. So. That's why you're seeing Trevor Lawrence, Derek Carr, and lastly, last and definitely least, Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley is a Pro Bowl quarterback starting in four games, appearing in six, throwing for 658 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, rushing for 137 yards, and a touchdown. So I, uh, I wrote a list of all the quarterbacks who I think and the AFC should have got in uh, above them. I'm just going to list a couple. I mean, if you have any gripes with me, don't be afraid to stop me. Davis Mills, Russell Wilson, Kenny Pickett, Mac Jones, Matt Ryan, Tua, Mike White, Jacoby Brissett, Ryan Tannehill. I got no problems there. You could throw Deshaun Watson in there maybe for a name basis. I mean... There's there's so many other quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, maybe even more. Like it's just insane that I mean he doesn't even have name recognition. Uh, it's nothing. He's it's, got nothing. It baffles me how they ended up on on Tyler Huntley. Uh, I think maybe because Baltimore made the playoffs, but I mean they did not make the That's playoffs because of Tyler Huntley. It it just it everything's lost meaning. It's lost its meaning. So going into so. Going forward with this, I've I've been team abolish the Pro Bowl or just come up with something different because similar to the NHL All-Star game, these guys don't want to play in it anymore. Josh Allen is publicly playing in a golf pro-am instead of playing in the Pro Bowl. He, they just don't care. Yeah, and so they this, don't care about showing it either. Yeah, and this year, I mean, I I guess the flag football aspect of it isn't crazy because, I mean... They weren't tackling in the real Pro Bowl anyway. So, yeah, that was I guess, one of the problems in the past. Yeah. yeah, I guess if you just like take that out of the game, it, I mean, it limits expectation of hits and stuff like that. So, you're not disappointed. You know, going into it, what you're getting. So, actually, I right. don't mind that part. But then they're doing stuff like dodgeball again. They're doing a longest drive competition. How's golf relating to football here? A best catch and then a water balloon contest. What the hell is a best catch? I don't know judges i guess like a dunk dunk contest there's gonna be judges scoring people catching the ball tyler huntley's throwing them so i don't even know if they're gonna be able to catch the ball it's just crazy what's going on here 
uh, it's it's just frustrating. It's just it was just frustrating. Another honorable mention is Lane Johnson's false starts, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that does it for giving the business with some very all star related things. I think I totally agree about the Pro Bowl. It's I mean it's always sucked, but now it seems like cornier somehow than it was before. It seemed to be have an air of coolness before where. You know, all these dudes were going to Hawaii and kind of just chilling for a week. And Sean like, Taylor hit. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Sean Taylor hit. Like it had this kind of vibe of coolness uh, around it. And now it's just gone full cornball. Probably thank Roger Goodell for a lot of that. Um, but yeah, two very, very valid gripes about all-star games uh, to take home with you. Yeah, I think MLB is king when it comes to all-star games. I really don't think it's close uh, out of the major four. Yeah, and NBA is okay because the the dunk contest, but that's kind of gone downhill on its own right too. But that's a whole different conversation. Whole different conversation for another episode that will come back to you next week. Keep an eye, always subscribe to us and put on auto downloads. Always helps. And yeah, have a great weekend. Enjoy, enjoy the sports that aren't football this weekend. Take a nice little break. Yeah, try something new. Look out for the sailing GP. All right, guys. See you later. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe. See ya.